Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody today? Good. It's good to see you all. And thanks for taking part in the Red Letter Challenge, as we've been doing for the past several weeks. We are indeed in the fourth week. Have you guys seen some changes happening in your life as you've been taking on the challenges day by day? Now, some people have, have been challenged by their own calendars and trying to find time to do the challenges in the Red Letter Challenge book. In fact, it is kind of challenging to start new habits sometimes when our calendars are so busy and our days are so full, right? But I want to encourage you, if you haven't taken a single challenge yet, it's not too late. In fact, we have a stack of Red Letter Challenge books in the back of the room. If you don't have one, I'd encourage you to pick one up, take it home, and start on the next challenge. In fact, today, I think, is day 20, maybe 19 or 20. 20, it seems like today is. So definitely pick up the ball and run with it if you haven't done so yet. Well, we are talking this morning about the idea of serving. And as we jump into the scriptures and work together, what we're doing is we're keeping serving in mind in a bigger context. We find that as we dive deeper into the red letters of Jesus, the actual things that Jesus said for his people to do, we find that those behaviors fall in five different kind of general categories. Those categories include being, forgiving, serving, giving, and going. And we've talked about the idea that when we be with God, I know that's not right English, but when we be with God, what are we doing? We're stopping doing and we're just being with him. We are spending time with him. We're spending time with Jesus. We're actually seeking out the person of Jesus and saying, Jesus, I am here. I want to spend time with you. And how do we do that? We read the scriptures. We pray. We get together with other people in small group. We stop the calendar and stop the busyness of the day and just spend time hearing from God. And then last week we talked about forgiving. And what does it look like to forgive someone who has wronged you? Or what does it look like to forgive someone that you may never see or hear from again? We take the source of the power and the strength of that forgiveness from who? From Jesus, who died on the cross and rose again from the grave not only so that we would be forgiven in the eyes of God, but so we would have the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive other people. Whether or not they come and ask for forgiveness, we have this power through the Holy Spirit. And today in particular, we're talking about serving. Now, if you've ever served in the context of the church before, you probably had an interesting experience wherever you served. Maybe you've served a meal. Uh, to someone in need. Maybe you served at a homeless shelter once serving meals. Or maybe you served at putting together gift or care packages for soldiers and Marines serving on the other side of the world. Or maybe you just made a plate of cookies and took it across the street to a new neighbor who moved into your neighborhood. If you've had the joy of serving before, you know how good it feels to serve someone else. Just the humanity of that, right? But when you know that your Lord, Jesus, calls you to serve other people in his name, it takes serving to a whole different level. It takes the interaction that you have with the person you're serving to a whole new purposeful level. Now, we've got an interesting day coming up this week on Thursday. What day is that called? That is Halloween, right? And the tradition is, the social tradition is that we dress up in costumes, or the we being mostly our kids. Sometimes we as adults get to do that too, right? We dress up in costumes, and what do we do? We go to all the neighbors' houses in the neighborhood that we consider safe, 
at least the ones who have some lights on, because if you go to the houses that are completely dark, what does that say to you? You're probably not welcome there, right? So when the houses, the lights are all dark, you don't want to go visit those. But when the lights are on, it means that on Thursday night, they're expecting trick-or-treaters. And the idea is that the kids could dress up and go to each house that has its lights on, is open and welcoming, and receive some what from their neighbors? From hospi- some hospitality in the form of candy. Now, I don't know about you, but if you did trick-or-treating when you were a kid, or maybe you dress up and still do trick-or-treating today, The end result in your bedroom looks like this. A mountain of candy that could feed an entire village somewhere on the other side of the world for an entire month, right? When I was a kid and I trick-or-treated, I ended up with a pile like this in the middle of my bedroom, and there was no way any time between that Halloween and the next Halloween that I could physically eat all that candy while making myself sick. Now, maybe you've had that experience before. So when Heather and I started having kids, we decided we were going to change things up this time, uh, this time of year a little bit. We decided we were going to do things a little bit differently. And the way we were going to package this is we wanted to explore a way to serve our neighbors. Because the idea is if you dress up and you go you know, trick-or-treating with your kids and you visit these households, basically it's a one-sided transaction, right? You go to the neighbor's house, They knock on the door and say, trick or treat, you get candy, and then you all leave. And then that's it. And you just do that over and over and over. Well, Heather and I were not satisfied with just that experience. So we decided that we were going to change Halloween up a little bit and actually just create this experience we call the s'more table. And it was Heather's idea. I mean, I thought it was brilliant and genius. So I jumped on the bandwagon several years ago when we started Basically, what we do is we take a Weber grill and we put plain old firewood in it and we cover it with lighter fluid. We light it up and make a big bonfire right at the end of our driveway. And then we invite all the neighbors who are out trick-or-treating to come by the house. And what they do when they come by the house is they're all dressed up in their costumes and having fun and such. But the idea is, is we give them all the ingredients they can, they can take to make s'mores. We help them put you know, the marshmallows on the end of the little stick we help them, you know, figure out how, how close to stand to the fire. In other words, if your costume starts to get warm and light up, you're too close and you need to back up a little bit. So we help them with fire safety, right? And then we help them after they get done toasting the marshmallow to put the chocolate, chocolate squares on the, you know, little graham cracker squares and squish it down and then pull it off the end of the thing, right? But the idea is, is we meet neighbors as we go through the night that we've never met before. We've been in our neighborhood more than four years now. And what we found is that over the four years we've been doing this, we built a bit of a reputation in the neighborhood. So now people know that when they go out on Halloween night, whatever night it is, if they come by the s'more house, as we are known, that they're going to be able to make s'mores and stand around and have fun. Now, we ratcheted the whole thing up a notch a couple of years ago when we started serving cider for the adults that had a little extra something, something in it. You know what I'm saying? And then the adults started to come in droves. I think, in fact, last year we saw something like 60 adults and children at our house. I lost count at one point. But the whole idea of the thing came from the idea of serving. We decided to row against the tide of Halloween just a little bit. Not where we're judging Halloween or judging people who, you know, take part in trick-or-treating. We're not doing that. That's not the point. The point is to serve the people who are. 
And this idea came from Jesus. The idea comes from our Lord who paints this picture of serving in just such a way. I want to share the scripture with you on this. From Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The mindset of Christ Jesus. The way you think about how you carry yourself in the world. Have and adopt the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The scripture says, Who being in very nature God, he is God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, where he was in the society of deity, where Jesus was and is in the society of deity, he's in community with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't take advantage of the fact that he is God and lord his deity over us. Instead, he chose to put that aside for a season and do what the scripture says next. In verse 7, rather the Bible says he made himself what? Nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, the very nature of one who serves on himself, being made in human likeness. So the way Jesus conducted himself is what we call in the business world servant leadership. Now, have you ever heard of this concept in, in business before? Where if you're not a servant leader, what kind, of, what kind of leader do you tend to be? You're the kind of leader who, as the Bible puts it, lords it over the people who report to you. Now, I see a few grimaces and I see a few smiles in the congregation this morning. Maybe you've had that experience where you had a boss that sort of lorded that position over you. Maybe he wasn't mean, but maybe it was still clear to you that that person was somehow over you and somehow better than you because of a higher position. Now, that's not how a servant leader works. A servant leader puts him or herself under you and lifts you up. And when a servant leader does that, it makes you feel valuable. And it makes you feel like you contribute to the organization, to the situation at hand. It lifts you up and it makes you feel powerful. When the person who's actually over you doesn't live like that, but instead turns and lives like Jesus and pushes you up from underneath, supports you, carries you, encourages you, promotes you, equips you, gives you the things you need to do your job well and makes you feel good about it. In fact, you'll even find that sometimes the boss will carry things along with you and serve with you in such a way that everybody benefits. It's kind of like the idea that a rising tide raises all what? Ships. Everybody rises when a servant leader lifts you up. This is how Jesus conducts business in his kingdom. Look at this scripture from John. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, what's the scene? The scene is the Last Supper. This is where Jesus is getting ready to go to the pinnacle of servant leadership, which is putting himself on the cross. For who? For you and for me, right? He was there and the person who was going to betray Jesus, known as Judas, was already set up to do that. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Whose power? Jesus' power. Even though Jesus was getting ready to sacrifice himself on the cross, he knew in that moment as he was serving that God had put everything under his power. And in that moment, he still carried forward and didn't make use of that power. 
but subjected himself so that he would do something very special. Jesus knew, verse 3, that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Very shortly, in fact, right? So, verse 4, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, this is something, and set the stage here a little bit, this is something that leaders, especially leaders of households in that culture, do not do. You see, when people back then would walk around all day long, they didn't have cars and such. Sometimes they had transportation like horses, but mostly everybody walked. And it was so warm that they didn't wear socks and shoes like you and me. They would typically wear sandals. And they walk around all day, and what would happen to their feet? Their feet would get pretty dirty, right? So when people would entertain, it was considered a sign of great honor and hospitality when you would show up at the house that they would actually help you take your sandals off and they would wash your feet. But it wouldn't necessarily be the owner of the household or the head of the household, rather, who would wash your feet. It would typically be a servant. And in a lot of cases, if they owned male and female slaves, they would relegate that duty to a female slave. There was one exception. In some cases, a wife would show her husband that she loved him and honored him by washing his feet. Now, husbands, don't go home today and ask your wives to wash your feet as soon as you get home. Culturally speaking, it just doesn't work, okay? Trust me, take my word for it, okay? Don't ask him to do it. Now, if your wife offers to wash your feet and it is a spiritual celebration, don't refuse her. But I will tell you, in this culture, it's just weird, isn't it? Have you ever been to a church service where they washed your feet? I have, and it was very sweet, but it was also very weird. Why? Because I wash my feet in the shower every morning, I promise I do, and then I put on socks and shoes, and then sometimes I will wash again later in the day if I've gotten really sweaty, but the next morning I get up and do what? I do the same thing. I typically will stay clean in most cases. Back then in that culture, though, it was different. A servant would get down and wash your feet. It was not something the head of the household would do. So Jesus is breaking through social conventions. And he's making himself not only in the place of a servant, but he's putting himself in the lowliest place in the household that he knows how to do. And then the Bible goes on and says in verse 5, After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. Now, why in the world would Jesus, the week he was going to die on the cross, why in the world would he do this with his disciples? Because he wanted to teach them a lesson. And the way you teach something to anybody of any age is not by telling them, but by what? Doing it for them. If you are going to be a servant leader, you have to be willing to get down in the dirt. Just like the story of the woman caught in adultery that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Jesus was drawing in the dirt. Jesus had no problem getting dirty. And in fact, on that night, his disciples had probably been walking around with him really, really far, and their feet were probably really, really dirty. Jesus got down in the dirt with them, and he demonstrated for them what it was like to set aside all the power of his position and his place in the deity of God. 
Jesus took all that power and set it aside. And when he did that, he demonstrated for them exactly what they needed to learn in that moment. Even though just within the week they would lose him to crucifixion and then get him back how many days later? Three days later, they needed to learn what it was like to lead others. Now, maybe you consider yourself a leader or not, but every single one of us leads someone, don't we? If we're parents, we lead children. If we're friends to other humanoids, we lead them, don't we? We lead them in thought. We lead them in ideas. If we know other people in our family and hang out with them, we lead them by what we share of ourselves. When anyone has a need, when anyone has a desire for something more, when anyone has a deficiency or a brokenness in his or her heart, and we have hope they don't have, when we share the Jesus that we have, it is leadership. It's an opportunity to lead. And here's what that looks like in the kingdom of God. Jesus put it just this way. And these are beautiful red letters. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. Now, love in this case is not a feeling. Love is an action. And we'll look at that just next. As I have loved you, Jesus says, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus placed his mark on his learners, his followers of love. He placed his mark, his characteristic of love in a way that a servant loves by putting him or herself second and putting the needs of the other person first. He put that brand on his disciples and the same brand exists for you and me today. We are known by the love we give. We are known by it. We are branded by it. And when that love is transferred from us to another person, it gives the other person a snapshot, a glimpse into the love of God. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I want to share with you what that word love in the Scripture means. And particularly as you look through uh, the Greek lexicon and you find the meaning of the original language words, you'll find this word for the word love that's used in John chapter 13. And particularly as you look down under the definition, this is really cool. When you're talking about love of persons, the idea is to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, to love dearly. Sort of the idea of family. So when we talk about entertaining people, listening to them and inviting them to the next, this is where we get the idea. It is right from the mouth of Jesus. The idea that Jesus gives us the ability to love people in such a way that entertains them, welcomes them, makes them feel loved, and makes them feel as though someone were hospitable toward them. Now, what better opportunity to do that than on a night like Halloween? In fact, on the day of October 31st, the challenge that's in the black book and the red book, the kids book and the adult book, the challenge on that day is literally serve a child who's in your life today. Now, how in the world did God know that Trinity Church was going to choose the red letter challenge in the year 2019 and that on October 31st, a day when the entire neighborhood all around us is dressed up to celebrate Halloween and is coming to your house, how did God know that it would give you an opportunity to fulfill the challenge 
that you had in the red letter challenge that day just by showing your neighbors a little love. Because that's the way God does. I want you to soak in that for a minute. Think about that. Out of all the years you've been in your neighborhood, no matter how long, you've been challenged by Jesus on this particular day, Thursday, to share the love of God in some way with a child you know. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of brings chills up my spine, especially when I think about all the candy corn that's going to get handed out, all the s'mores that are going to be made. By the way, this year, I think we're going to twist up the s'more station a little bit, and I think we're actually going to do s'more pops. Have you guys heard of s'more pops before? This is where you actually put the s'more stuff around the marshmallow, you know, after you've, uh, you know, kind of warmed it up around the fire. You actually have a bowl of chocolate and crushed up graham crackers. Look it up on Pinterest. That's all I know. But then you, you give it to them. They stay with that same little thing that they roasted their marshmallow with, and it's not so messy, but it changes up the idea of Halloween. Halloween becomes a way that you can serve a child you know. And in fact, if you want to get even more daring, you can use the opportunity to be that one weird neighbor (laughs) who invites people to church. And I guarantee you, if you do it, if you have the guts, if you have the chutzpah of the Holy Spirit inspire you, you'll be the only one on your street. But think about it. You'll be the only one on your street. And that will make an impression on your neighbors that all the other neighbors won't have the opportunity to make. Why? Because they're just going along with the flow. And what are you doing? You're rowing a little bit against the tide. You're doing something strategically different in the name of Jesus. Like the creator and the maker of heaven and earth taking off his clothes, wrapping a towel around his waist, breaking the social conventions, getting down on his hands and feet, and washing the dirt off of the feet of those he loves. You did not do that back in Jesus' day. And how dare you invite people to church and invite people to God on Halloween I say by the power of the Holy Spirit, you dare. You can do it if you give yourself the opportunity. And in fact, the two pieces that I'm showing you behind me are an invitation card that says, sit with me. And the other piece is a door hanger. If your kids get the opportunity to go trick-or-treating, if there are dark houses that don't invite them in, you can take a door hanger and hang it right on that door because those people may not open their door for trick-or-treaters. You can treat them instead. If you go to a house that offers trick-or-treating, you can take a door hanger and simply give it to them. And when people come to your house and trick-or-treat, give them a sit-with-me card. It'll be the only one they get that night. And if they stop long enough to ask you what it means, you can share with them, this is where I get to know Jesus. You don't have to say, I want you to come to church with me. You can say, this is where I get to know Jesus, and you're welcome to join me. Dare to change the culture around you in the name of Jesus. 
That is what Jesus did when he was here with us. And that is what Jesus continues to do to this day. He looks at the culture around us and he asks the question, how can I turn the tide so that whoever is in that tide who wants to hear my voice can hear my voice? How do I turn the tide? Let Jesus turn the tide on your holiday season starting this Thursday. Do you join me in pray? Dear Jesus, thank you so much for being a radical. Thank you for being the one who turned the tide on all things, who changed the way we saw serving, who gives us a heart of servanthood that we can embrace and actually act on. Thank you for being the God who not only said it, but got down and demonstrated it, who took on flesh just like I have and dealt with the inconveniences and the aches and pains the outright devastation of that flesh sometimes, and yet conquered it by love and by servanthood and by power. God, I'd ask you to inspire in me a new way to see my world around me so that I may serve you in a new way that changes the culture, a new way that addresses the culture with your love, a love that entertains, invites, and shows hospitality to. God, I thank you for forgiving my sin, and I thank you for giving me a new life, and I thank you furthermore for showing me how to live it. You're a great God. I love you, and I worship you. And in this moment, as we sing, God, I want you to take my heart and begin to massage it to be more like yours. In your name we pray, and together we say, amen and amen.